It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And we're back with an episode, another episode of the Underdog Dynasty Podcast, AAC edition. My name is Dan Morrison. That is Emily Van Busker. How are you doing today, Emily? Well, I'm here. Uh, I, I technically should have resigned. So this is... Yeah, you, you've survived. It's, uh, it's, it's upsetting. It's, it, I, I'm unwell. I'm unwell, Dan. <laughs> I mean, it's your own fault for trusting Dana. Yeah. That's on you. <laughs> yeah. I was playing Guess Who's Back. Because okay. I wasn't supposed to be back. <laughs> but I'm back because I never left. Anyways, um, yeah, for those of you waiting for me to quit the podcast, like I said, I would do. I tried. It was vetoed uh, by our boss. He was like, no, you don't get to do that just because you're upset that a team won that you didn't think would win, which is a good life lesson for us all, honestly. So I am here to take that L. We will talk about that game at the end, but let's start off. Let's start off with happier news. Okay. Happier games, please. What do you got? I mean, we're going to start in the way we always do, which is order of operations. When did they kick off? That's how we're going to talk about. So I can't promise it's happier news for you. But it's Tulane 27, Tulsa 13. (laughs) Uh, It's not bad news. Yeah, Tulane absolutely dominated this game on the ground. Uh, A couple of rushers over 100 yards. Tulsa really didn't have an answer there. Uh, Braylon Braxton played at quarterback for Tulsa because Brynn wasn't able to go. We talked a little bit about... Uh, if Bryn had been able to go, that would have been different. I mean, that's just... Uh, yeah, you possibly would have had to, you know, have been a closer game, being able to keep up with mm-hmm. him a little bit better. Uh, I didn't think Braxton played terribly. He just didn't play all that well either. Right. He, was a, he looked like a backup quarterback in there, but I don't think he's the reason they lost by any means. Uh, Pratt kept the game a little bit closer than it was uh, in reality with that late first half interception that Tulane cashed in. Or not Tulane, sorry, but that Tulsa cashed in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that made the final score a little bit closer than the game was in reality. Not that two touchdowns is a close final score. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know that there's a ton else to say about it other than the better team won in the ways that you kind of expected them to. Yeah. Yeah. You know I mean? Tulane was more physical. They had the better defense. It was closer than Tulane probably would have liked it, though. Again, I think that that's an effect of the of the late first half interception that gave Tulsa mm-hmm. short field to score a touchdown on. You know, what I mean, had that not happened, it's twenty seven to six, and that that feels like a well, but it, it still yeah. happened, and that's my that goes to my point that Willie Fritz is again not the throw the foot on your throat kind of guy. That's just not Tulane is a great team and they're very well coached. I think Fritz is an excellent coach, but he is not an out for blood Michigan Jim Harbaugh drop fifty points on you because we can kind of team. That he's just that's just not what Tulane is, and that's okay. 
That doesn't make them less good, but it, it does. It may become an issue if they do play a, t- a, a game that gets down to that cutthroat nature, you know, <laughs> next week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, no, we shall uh, get, we shall get I, to that. I know why you chose Jim Harbaugh there, by the way, because you mm-hmm. are, you're a Stanford, Stanford person. Jim Harbaugh is the Jim most Harbaugh. petty. Like he, he's okay. petty. Hey, no, no, no. Pray for Michigan State next year. Yada, yada. I got it. Uh, no, not that. I'm talking about what's your deal when he was at Stanford and Pete Carroll at USC and they didn't okay. shake hands after the game. And he will never forget that as long as he lives. You know, like he's just a petty guy and he'll run it up on you if he wants to. I guess I don't think of Michigan as the run it up team. Those, this is a complete sidebar for no reason. I just think of... Mm. I guess I could see... They have, though. I'm pretty sure they've scored 50 points this season. Yeah, I mean, like, you do that against Hawaii on accident, though. I mean, I... nothing this year. I don't know that Willie Fritz would do that even on accident, is my point. No, well, that's, I guess, fair enough. They did 51 at Colorado State, 56 at Michigan, 59-0 to to UConn, and then 41 on Penn State. So, yeah, I mean... Well, the Penn State game was weird because it was like... 52 on Rutgers. No, they were one and a half. I guess Penn State, but barely. I'm just saying, like, there's coaches that are like that, and then there's coaches that are not, and Tulane, Willie Fritz is just not that guy, and that's okay. doesn't make him less of a coach, just different. I also think for the whole Tulane team, it's a new experience to be jumping out to early leads and, like... You know what I mean? True. Even in years they've gone to bowl games under Willie Fritz, they're not consistently doing this week in, week out. So it's a different vibe, different vibe to the whole season when you're jumping out to two or three score leads. And what do I do with my hands? It is definitely not where we thought it would be. I will say this, though. People were tweeting like, oh, they deserve more media attention. And well, I can't believe game. like they, they, I can't they, believe Texas didn't deserve it. Well, no, it would have been it, Texas with three losses did not deserve game day a second I, half. I agree with you. I think it should have been UCF to Tulane, but I understand why it's not. I mean, because that's just the nature of the beast, but well, the, I, I don't know. My problem with that is the nature of the beast, when it comes, this is a whole other sidebar that I don't want to go too far down, but ESPN decides what we care about in this sport because they own mm-hmm. the stock, they own the product. You know, 75% of games are on an ESPN network. And then mm-hmm. their shows are the ones that dictate the kind of broad discourse within the sport. You know, college game day, whether we want to admit it or not, it has a huge outsized influence on the sport. So they tell you what games are important when you watch that, which is why some people go, well, the playoffs don't think that's important now because that's the only thing they often talk about is the playoff because they put so much money into it that that's the only that they're really trying to sell that one product. And it becomes cyclical and it's annoying and it's... <laughs> A whole other thing. It's- well, let's get let's give a shout out really quick to the defensive player of the week who comes hails from Tulane, junior linebacker Dorian Williams. He led this defense that limited Tulsa to one touchdown, thirteen points. Obviously, two hundred fifty-seven yards of offense. Now that's going to be different with with Brennan, but you know it's good for what it was. He had thirteen tackles, two sacks, including five tackles on third down to help limit the Golden Hurricane to five of fourteen on third down conversions so now Dorian Williams uh enters week 11 as Tulane's leader in tackles with 72 sacks with four and tackles for a loss 6.5 so watch out UCF Dorian Williams is coming for you next week 
<laughs> we also have an honorable mention from Tulane. Uh, Ty J Spears can't go a Tulane game without mentioning this young man. Junior running back rushed for 157 yards in a touchdown on 14 carries, averaging 11.2 yards per carry. Not overly active, but it, but it's crazy because we expect these like 200 yard games from him because that's what he can do. So 157 yards is good, you know. But a little quieter for him, I think. I don't think it's a quiet game. A little bit of quieter game. 14 carries is not that many carries. That's fair. Yeah. That's all I They they spread it around a little bit. They did. Can we go on to this next game? All right. Temple 54, USF 28. Jeff Scott, you can't let Temple score 54 points on you and expect to get away with it. You cannot let a Temple running back average 11 yards a carry on you and expect to get away with it. Jeff Scott, you can't let a fired. You can't. You can't let a Temple kicker score a career high 18 points Jesus. and expect to get away with it. Because let me just tell you, before you the fourth quarter points. I mean, yeah, but this is crazy. Like, and I gotta shout this guy out. I, I special teams player of the week is usually a returner or somebody who made like a game winning field goal. Or, or there's a plethora of people it could be, but this week it was grad graduate. You know, student uh, Camden Price, the Temple kicker. He's a transfer from Miami. Uh, he scored a career high 18 points, the most by any American Athletic Conference kicker this season in this win over South Florida. He went four for four on field goal attempts. Let me just tell you 32, 34, 32, 35. Every single one, he made all six of his PATs. Three of those were in the first half, gave them a very nice lead. And then he had, he had a fourth one in the third quarter. So, yeah, that's an unprecedented amount of field goals. Yes. And you know, the thing with this game is that it was just an encapsulation of everything wrong with the Jeff Scott era on the field. The offense was fine. It wasn't mm-hmm. bad. It wasn't great, but it was fine. And the defense was an absolute war crime just an atrocity of a defense this temple team sucks on offense this year they just do yeah this is well it's it's they they, they've stunk on offense there's i like a lot of their individual players i like stan drayden i'm not knocking Mm -hmm. it's a process if you look at purely statistically they stink on offense Mm -hmm. you know what i mean they're young and it's new they'll get there yes again you've got freshman quarterback you got a lot of freshmen you got a lot Mm -hmm. of first-year players in this system um there's reasons why they stink that's now i'm not trying to like discredit everything they're doing i'm really not they stink and you let them average 9.4 yards per play that's not acceptable you let them score 54 points on you and i didn't think they were capable of that you know Mm -hmm. It was just an atrocity of a game. You know, you won one FBS game in, what was it, three or four seasons there, if you're Jeff Scott. No, you deserve to get fired. You absolutely deserve to get fired. And you probably deserve to get fired before the season even started. Probably didn't I think, did we that. did we say that in our in last week's episode? Did we say if, they, if he lost this game, that was going to be... I feel like we did. How am I expected to know what I say? That's fair. I well, I went back and listened to it because I had to because I had said I was going to quit, so I had to double check and make sure you said that. I had to make sure I what the wording was in, in the fine print was on that one, but <laughs> yeah, no. if, yeah. 
I mean, I think I've probably been saying he's going to get fired at some point this season all year. Yeah. Um, because you just need to win games on the field at a certain point. You cannot yeah. keep saying, well, we've got some good fundraising going on forever and expect it to be good enough. Uh, Daniel DePrado, special teams coordinator, is the interim head coach. We love that. We love a special teams coach. Sure. I don't think he's – I mean, they fired the defense coordinator too and several other coaches, by the way. it wasn't. I mean, I understand, but I, I love that for him. And actually, yeah. that's one of the homies. Follow, follows me on Twitter, so we got to get yeah. him on the show. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's uh, – trying out for the job unless he runs the table here. I think they're going to try to make a slight. No, but it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how you guide a ship like this for the rest of the year. And frankly, it's a good opportunity for him to show off what he can do to try to get his next job because, you know, Mm -hmm. you're going to see the whole staff turn over most likely. Uh, Yeah. No, we were asked by Eric, who you mentioned earlier to decide if this is a better job than the UAB job, which will of course be in the American next year and is open. What do you think? Is it better than UAB right now? The USF job? Yeah. I mean, I think you look at a lot of factors. UAB has a has beautiful facilities. Gorgeous brand new stadium. Just absolutely gorgeous. I love the town of Birmingham has now got the USFL. And I think I think Birmingham's a better college football city than Tampa mm-hmm. is. Hundred percent. But Florida's yeah, got yeah. the weather. It's got well, the bikinis. It's got Tampa. the beaches. Tampa has good access to players. So does Birmingham. Tampa a little bit better, I'd say. But people are less likely to care in Tampa if you stink because they can go watch Tom Brady play. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? On the same field the very next day. They can go watch the Lightning, who are a very good hockey team. They've got the Rays, who are – you're going to leave town any day now, but they exist for now. Uh, I just you know think I mean? it's like, a matter – I think there's like – plus and minuses for both. And I think it's a matter of preference. So like, you can't just say which is better. You'd have to say for which coach. Well, yeah, Do you know what I mean? Like there's definitely better fits for one school versus mm-hmm. the next. Uh, I got to I got to say this, this John Gruden stuff is ridiculous. The groomers. Every I'm just like, I can't do it. John Gruden rumors. Like he hasn't been a good coach since like 2003. <laughs> I'm also like, there's just no merit to that. Like someone was like, yeah, he's friends with some donors. Like what? It's message board nonsense every time. But no, John, I hate when everyone brings up John Gruden seriously because some people bring him up seriously. Some people do it as part of a bit. He has not been a good coach since like 2003. Like his teams in the NFL, he have been exceedingly mediocre since that Super Bowl that he won with Tampa. And, you know, then he took a decade off. Then he come back and was exceedingly mediocre again before getting fired in a controversial. Not the move to fire him wasn't necessarily controversial, but there's controversy around him, the person for some of those e- emails he sent. Yes, uh, not to rehash everything there, but yeah, no, there's no reason anyone would hire John Gruden. It'd be like if the if USC last year had hired Jack Del Rio or Jeff Fisher because they were USC guys. You know what I mean? Right, it makes no sense. Hire someone good, not someone because he's a big name. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> yeah. By the way, Charlotte also opening, going to be in the American next year, by far the number three out of those three available jobs in terms of, yeah, in my opinion. A lot of promise, but they don't have the promise structurally yet. They don't yeah. have the facilities to match the other two, especially with USF building on campus practice, or sorry, not campus, an indoor practice facility uh, and all that. So anyways, uh 
AJ Warner, really good game, 344 yards, two touchdowns. Again, just taking advantage of a bad defense that didn't know where it was supposed to be. Um, yeah. Anything else to add to this game before we move on? Yeah, I've got to give a shout out to Edward Sadie, sophomore running back from Temple, who rushed for a career high 265 yards and three touchdowns on 24 carries, which earned him Doak Walker. I, I guess a share is what I have to say of the Doak Walker weekly the, the honors. Um, I, I'm unclear. We were not. So as, as a Doak Walker voter, we're given uh, every week a ballot and what these are the guys we could choose from in week one, two, three. Um, and I, I was very excited to, to have Sadie as my first on this one, because I think even when, even because it's USF, that's still an incredible amount of yards and touchdowns to put up, you know, in a game, like you're not letting off. You're just keeping running and grinding. And, and oh, he yeah. averaged, I think 11 yards per carry. So it, yeah, um, correct. Yeah, massive, yeah. Massive, huge game for him. Was yeah. And being a running backs coach by trade, which has, you love he has to be hugely happy with that. Yes, he has to be. So, um, Big, and uh, what I thought was also awesome is that he had 69 receiving yards because he has one catch mm-hmm. for that 69 yards and both of those. So the 334 all purpose yards were the fourth best single game mark in program history. And he also was a career, you know, first for him, longest rush of 75 yards, longest reception of 69 yards. And his single game rushing total is fifth on the AAC um, chart since the conference was established. So you pretty banner day for the, for the young sophomore running back. And you have to believe he's only going to get better, especially under uh, Drayden. So excited to watch that run game grow. Absolutely. Uh, Moving on. UCF 35, Memphis 28. Mikey Keene got the start for UCF. John Rice Plumley had a concussion last week, was listed day to day. He did dress for the game, did not see the field at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of UCF fans wanted to see Keene this year because they felt that Plumley was too inconsistent a thrower. Plumley, obviously, a very good runner, and that plays into what Gus wants to do on offense. So that's mm-hmm. a huge part of why he's the starter, even though the accuracy sometimes abandons him as a pocket passer. Uh, I thought Keen looked okay. I thought that he had spurts of the game where he looked overwhelmed and scared. He had one of the worst interceptions I've seen the UCF quarterback throw in some time. <laughs> uh, you know, in his, you know, on his own like 15 yard line, hit a Memphis defender in the chest with the ball. Um, and then he had other times when he threw the ball, yeah, a little bit better than Plumley probably could, but he doesn't run as well. He's not going to try to be that runner. Uh, so who knows? Plumlee's still day-to-day. We'll see who goes against Tulane. Long story short there, I guess. I mean, I'm not convinced about Keene as the guy. I was surprised when they brought him in instead of Castellanos, given the fact that Castellanos had taken all the mop-up time reps before that, but who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, big turning point in this game for me. Memphis, early in the game, kept getting the ball into UCF's red zone and multiple times came in with zero points including one of the silliest interceptions I've seen where I think seven different players batted it to each other. Um, Yeah, you can't beat good teams when you're not even getting – you know, they say you don't win games with field goals. You definitely don't win games with no points in the red zone. Mm -hmm. You got to be able to finish drives. You got to find a way to finish drives. It's something UCF is very good at preventing is, you know, they – they're designed on defense to let you go 40, 50 yards and then settle in and make you try 
a mid to long range field goal. That's what they want to do. They're okay giving up a field goal because they think they're going to score a touchdown at least every other time, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it worked out, obviously, in the end. Uh, Seth Hennigan, they ran him more than I was expecting, more than he really has all year. I think that's a weakness in UCF's defense is stopping the quarterback run and Memphis tried to exploit it. Looks like it worked for a lot of the time. Uh, so a good little extra scheme they threw in, a little wrinkle for this game. Uh, Gus tried a 64-yard field goal before half. That made no sense. Colton Boomer was about 15 yards short on it. Mm. <laughs> so maybe we don't try those again. Yeah. Uh, that was Boomer's first minutes of the season. I don't really blame him because that's like a massive kick for an NFL kicker, and he's a freshman. Uh, yeah. Silverfield went for it on fourth and 16 for no reason. Uh, didn't have a great explanation after the game. Just kind of was like, yeah, seemed like the thing to do. It wasn't. <laughs> I don't... So a couple of questionable decisions on fourth down for each coach. Better team one. Uh, I mean, yeah, I would hope. I would. I would hope so. Memphis is not. I mean, UCF should have beaten them by more. I think the fact that Memphis put up twenty eight is not ideal. Memphis added a late score in this game again to make it look a little closer. Yeah, you keep saying that like late scores are still scores, like. I know why I'm saying this. You, you, you don't stop playing in the I fourth quarter just because you're winning. Okay, but I wasn't. It wasn't like a concerning. You knew the outcome in the fourth quarter. Is what I'm getting at. It's it's concerning in that if you're beating yeah, a team. Control, what I'm saying. I mean, I I understand that we're not afraid they're going to lose, but it's also like when it comes down to games where you need to be mentally tough towards the end. You know, you just need to be. I think I just, I would start now. I wouldn't just be like, oh, it's fine. Like, I doubt Gus was like, oh, it's okay that they scored. Oh, no, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure he was not happy about it. It wasn't as silly as when SMU called a timeout with one second left to try to score a touchdown. <laughs> yeah, that is completely unnecessary. Rhett Lashley, man. He, I can't. Uh, we're going to talk about him a minute. I'm not going to. I'm going to tap out for that. But let's okay. first give UCF uh, running back, junior running back, RJ Harvey. Okay. Props for honor roll AAC mentioned uh, rush for career high 151 yards and a touchdown on 17 carries in the win. He was the only player from UCF to be honored in this yeah. list this week. By the way, and one little wrinkle gust thrown that I liked RJ, not RJ, Isaiah Bowser, the running back who they do a lot of wildcat with. He's a mm-hmm. power running back. Uh, they had him throw a little pop pass or a touchdown. First time they've ever had him do anything other than run straight up the gut out of this wildcat thing they do. That's sometimes fun. They have, sometimes they'll have him fake a jet sweep, or sometimes they just have him go straight power. No matter what, it's north-south. Now it's a little wrinkle. Other teams have to be aware of the tight end leaking out now, and that's good to put on tape. As it should be. Exactly. It softens up the defense. They can't just go you know, 9-10 forward on that formation. Watch Gus come out with the fullback play next. I'm telling you. Bowser's a little bit like a fullback with a little back. bit. A little he's bit. Faster he, than your average fullback. Yes. But he's he's, he's a pretty north south straight line power guy. Uh, shout out to the Knights for moving up three spots in the AP poll to 22. And then also moving up in the college football rankings. They are now number 22 after being number 25 in the first one. So getting okay. some love. Did we shout out Tulane for that at number 17? No. Oh, yeah, we did not. So Tulane also moved up to 17. 
Um, uh, that's yeah. also just to give a little context as to why those playoff rankings matter. Cause I know 17 and 22 aren't competing for the playoff. They're not going to, they both have a loss, whatever. Right. Um, the reason those rankings matter now, in case you don't know, is that the highest ranked group of five champion gets the new year six game right now, Tulane and UCF are the only group of five teams in the top 25. I think Liberty might be in the top 25 as well, but Liberty is not in a conference, which means they don't qualify for the New Year Six that way. Yeah. Uh, so just those two as of right now. Uh, Cincinnati is probably somewhere between 26 and 30-something. And I don't know. The Sun Belt's kind of eating itself alive. Mountain West stinks this year. <laughs> yeah. Stinks this year, Conference USA stinks. So it looks like the American champion's probably getting that spot again. Uh, moving on, speaking of Cincinnati, Cincinnati 20, Navy 10. Emily, I am so bored of Cincinnati's offense. <laughs> this mediocre offense. I'm so bored of it. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. Tyler Scott. I think Luke Fickle game. would be, uh, yeah, Tyler Scott with the most boring name of any player ever. The junior wide receiver was the only uh, guy from this game on the AAC mentions list honor roll spot 10 receptions, 439 yards and two touchdowns. Very vanilla. Do you know what? Uh, since I was on third down three for 11. <laughs> Mediocre. Uh, they struggled yeah. to run the ball again, which isn't something I expect to have happen with Cincinnati, but there it is. They struggled to, to run the ball again, and this is against a mm-hmm. not great Navy defense. Uh, not like they threw the ball all over the field either. Uh, Ty Lavate, we forgot to mention this last week. Uh, he's out for the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that's right. We did yeah, not say that. In my head, I knew it, and it's just it's one of those things that slips the mind when you're going through. It's a really tough blow for them because he was starting to, I think, Look better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunate that that type of thing happens. Uh, mm-hmm. You had Messiah Maynard and Xavier Arline both play uh, at quarterback in this game. And you could tell that it wasn't clicking quite the same way. Part of that, Cincinnati still does have a good defense. Part of that, Lavatai is the guy who runs the system best for Navy. He wasn't there. To run. Yeah. Uh, so tough break for Navy. Good tight game. I think, again, Navy's going to end this year with a not good record, and I think they're going to be better than that record shows. But I don't know how much that is good for when people only look at records and care about wins and losses. And it's been a couple years yeah. in a row where I've kind of in my head been saying, no, no, they're better than their record. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> no, no, they're better. Don't look at that. Look at, like, you know. The other stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> at least Army stinks real bad this year, too. So Don't say that. Well, Air Force just won the Commander-in-Chief's trophy. So I just, I mean, don't say, like, at least. Like, I, well, we well, want the Army-Navy game to be competitive. Well, yeah, but it's going to be competitive. But, like, what I'm saying is at least, the like, two years ago, his Army team would blow this Navy team out of the water. You know what I mean? Yeah. At least they're not in a position where Army's capable of doing that this year and should still be a good game. You can still beat Army is what I'm saying. Mm. You, you know, Commander-in-Chief's trophy's decided. Air Force won it. Uh, but you can still beat Army. And that's, I think, really what... Well, that's what they want to do. And we were there last year, you know. Um, oh, yeah. 
the commander in chief's trophy is what they care about every year. And if yeah. you can't win that, you may as well just beat army. You know? And uh, we're planning something a little special for this year's Army Navy. So when we have the podcast prior to that game, there's going to be a special guest joining us on the podcast as well as at the game. And his name may or may not rhyme with Shmoey Peshnut. Okay. Subtle. Uh. <laughs> it's America's game, baby. This year we're going all out, all America. <laughs> All things American. So it's going to be awesome. I, I I don't look forward to their game this week against Notre Dame. I think that's going to be tough. Um, Notre Dame coming off a huge win. Yeah. But I did. I don't know if you saw the logo they came out with for the game. It's pretty sick. I did see that. I think you retweeted it. And that's how I saw it. I actually or, tweeted it out. But yes. You tweeted, okay. You tweeted it. Didn't retweet. Head over to Twitter if you want to see it. It's pretty. Every time Navy does a logo, even the... The Army Navy game logo, everything, I don't know. And probably Notre Dame has a hand in it too, but I feel like Navy's is just clean like that. They just have clean traditional type graphics, but it's it's gonna be it's sick. Yeah. Notre Dame Navy, they're both very traditional. Traditional yeah. in terms of the vibe and the graphics that they like to put out. They like there's a certain it's very anti-Oregon in a lot of ways. <laughs> it's like the opposite, yeah, for sure. Um, we got one more game from week 10. Hold on, hold on, hold oh, on. Got, I got, got one more thing. You got honor or what are we? Oh, well, I was going to say one more thing about Navy and I can't remember. Oh, oh I lost man. it. That's okay. Well, if it comes back to you, maybe when we're doing yeah, I'll think about it, if it comes Dame back, Navy. but we got Notre Dame Navy preview time coming up. So we do. That's true. I'll circle back. Plus we need a full half hour to talk about this next game. I just don't, I, I quit. <laughs> SMU 77, Houston 63. And what I know what, the actual F? I know what everyone wants to talk about. How ugly were those SMU uniforms? You could have done this wearing better looking uniforms. Oh my goodness, I hated them. Yeah. They wore black uniforms. I didn't like it. Not the point. Uh, 140 points is an FBS record in the AP poll era for combined scoring. Emily, do you know what the over under was for this game? Yeah, I think uh, I don't remember actually. What was it? Sixty-five and a half. (laughs) SMU hit it on its own. Houston nearly hit it on its own. Uh, The real main difference in this game. I'm just gonna go through like a couple things from the game. Yeah, go for it. Give you uh, a little bit of crap, probably. Mm. (laughs) Uh, Two and three interceptions is the big difference in this game. Those lost possessions essentially are where you see uh, SMU have a couple score win. Uh, Mordecai, 379 yards, nine touchdowns, plus 54 on the ground in a rushing touchdown. Clayton, 2 and 527 yards, plus seven touchdowns passing. Another 111 rushing and a rushing touchdown as well. Uh, combined, they had 1,352 yards in this game and 65 first downs. <laughs> That's nonsense. Uh, really quickly, Houston for... Most of this game played straight man coverage, and Rhett Lashley and SMU just schemed these little design passes where the receivers would clear out corners and safeties, and they would run little slants underneath it, and they'd be wide open Mm -hmm. 20 yards to run every single play. It was absolutely idiotic that Houston didn't get out of man coverage. Absolutely moronic. Uh, Meanwhile, SMU refused to tackle just throwing shoulders and bouncing off of Houston's play (laughs) and uh, had they not considered maybe spying the quarterback run, the quarterback scramble, leave a spy in? <laughs> no, no, both defense coordinators should get fired for this. Horrible. Uh, you had Houston, though, because there's no way SMU could have done this. Thoughts? 
my thought is that nobody wants me to be happy ever. And that includes Dana Holgerson. And obviously he heard the, he heard the podcast and obviously uh, I would like to take some credit because Rhett Lashley was like, no, we're not going to let underdog dynasty do us like that. And then (laughs) they went and won the game. So I don't know, man, I don't understand it. That was talking to somebody about, being a sports writer this weekend and covering college football. And the the more I know, the less I actually understand about some, I, I saw SME play in person. Maybe it was just, they were playing TCU, which I also don't think is that good, but now they're ranked number four. Yeah. I, I, do they look like that when I see them? No, hundred percent not. Yeah. Every TCU so, game I watch, I'm like, how did they win this game? But now they're like yeah. eight or nine and oh. So I, I don't, I, I don't think that bodes well for them come playoff time because they're just going to get smacked on their ass, but whatever, that's not the point. Um, I do have to give a lot of credit to Tanner Mordecai. I have said he is a good quarterback. I have also pointed out his flaws, but I mean, he lit the world on fire. Well, we both said it. He's a gunslinger who likes to stick to his first read a little bit too much. Right. Right. The problem with this Um, is Houston never covered his first read. They never came close to (laughs) And what were we calling Houston's uh, pass first this season, Emily? Sack Avenue. Sack Avenue, yeah. It was wide open <laughs> down the avenue. No. Yeah. There's <laughs> nothing. I mean, look, I, I know it's like reductive to say neither team did anything right on defense. It's obvious right. also. That's why I tried to come up and, like, when I, I went back and, like, watched a YouTube, like, someone upload the game onto YouTube, I, like, sat down to watch it more closely a second time and to see what team they were trying to do wrong on defense. Yeah. And like the, my biggest takeaway from either team on defense was that Houston refused to get out of man coverage. UCF essentially held them to 13 points in a game. Again, I'm not counting that final second touchdown by just playing zone. Right. Like, the right Lashley's offense thrives against man coverage because it's a lot of routes that are really well designed to get people open and get corners to, have to give you space you know right I mean? they're natural right. pick, natural picks or screens whatever language you want to use they're they're just right. well they clear out safety as well and that's just a fundamental strategic error that houston refused to get out of like i said smu fundamentally is bad on defense they don't tackle they don't they get out of position they let Clayton and Toon scramble basically whenever he felt like it there's fundamental issues there they came up with turnovers which was the good was good, but they did nothing else good. Yeah. Well, if you like offense, this game was for you. If you like to see quarterbacks literally duel it out, we always talk about quarterback battles, you know, matchups, whatever. This was an actual duel. Yeah. Like in its purest form. So and it's kind of funny because Tanner Mordecai gets offensive player of the week, obviously, for everything he did. But then they go ahead and give Clayton Toon honor roll mention. For the seven touchdowns and, you know, 111 rushing yards and it's like. Uh, Absolutely well-deserved for both of them, to be honest. You know, know, uh, I don't know if I like this type of game. Really? It's just, yeah, it's, I like, I think 49 to 45 is a ton of fun, but I think that you get to a point with this where it's a little too much aggressive scoring. It's a little too much. Just 
nobody doing a thing right on defense. Like, like if the teams have to punt once or twice a game, that's amount an amount I really like because hey, that means the defense is trying. Defense is more doing anything in this game, and that's <sighs> frustrating. It's like it's like what the Big Twelve used to get made fun of for, but yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I just don't want to... I don't want to relive that again. I'm over it. We can move on if you want and go towards our preview for week 11. Let's do it. Week 11. How are we at week 11? This is insane. This season season has absolutely flied by. It's flown by. Flown by. So we we have six games to go over this week. Uh, Because Navy's playing it out a conference game like a bunch of jerks. Um, (laughs) And we get a Thursday night game, which is fun. And a Friday night. Yeah. I love that. Want to go over the picks now or later? Um, From last week? Yeah, you can do it now. Yeah, I was 5 0. You were 4 1. Big difference was that SMU Houston game that we were different on. And Uh, I told you to take SMU. I dared you to take them. So you're welcome. and for me, it was a little bit of a coin flip, and you were so sure on Houston, you were trying to bait me. Yeah. And I took the bait. I did bait you. And it worked out nicely. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, uh-huh. Anyways, I'm 54 and 16 on the season. You're 41 and 29. Uh, hey, better than ESPN. <laughs> Those guys are about 500 every, every week. <laughs> yeah. So I think I'm doing better this year. I'm I'm proud of my more grown up strategy. I think you found a better way of balancing when you're taking underdogs instead of I'm taking, trying to not play with too much emotion, which is what I did last year. So you took the underdogs like 75% of the time. Yeah. Because I like underdogs. <laughs> it worked. Uh, let's start off with that Thursday night game. Uh, Tulsa at Memphis. Man, both of these teams really, really need the win. Uh, Tulsa, you need to win out if you want to be bowl eligible. Memphis, at four and five, you need to win two out of your last three. Uh, again, don't know the status of Davis Spring. Tulsa doesn't really give updates. Yeah. Uh, talked about this last week, how he, it was very hush-hush. Braxton obviously played last week. I'm going to assume Braxton until I hear otherwise at this point for Tulsa. Is that fair? I should probably do some digging and find out for week. us. It's a short week, too. So mm-hmm. who knows? But I'm going to assume Braxton until I hear otherwise on Brent because, because Tulsa just likes to keep that hush-hush. Um, do you think that both of these coaches are coaching for their jobs? 
I don't know. I, I definitely think Ryan Silverfield is every single week. He is Silverfield. I 100% agree. If they miss the bowl, I think he's fired. If they make yeah. a bowl, I think at six and six and they lose the bowl, I think there's a good chance he's fired. Um, yeah. I, I, I think he's in a very tricky spot where he would, he'd be comfiest when he now didn't even, then I don't know how comfy he'd be at seven and five. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just so far below where they were a cotton bowl team when he took over. And now they're like fighting for a bowl game. That's clear regression. You know, that's, yeah. not, that's not maintaining it, but not being able to go forward. That's just straight regression. Yeah. Um, it might not be regressed to the point where you're like embarrassing, but it's not what you're going in the wrong direction overall. Um, and I think the thing with Tulsa is again, super hard place to win. Philip mm-hmm. Montgomery's been there a long time and he just can't find consistency. You know, two years ago, they were in the conference championship game in 2020. Yeah. This year, they're probably not making the bowl, if we're being honest. You know? Yeah. You so say, hey, it's been a nice little run here, but we need to just get a fresh start. I don't know. That's my kind of thinking on is that both these coaches are in precarious situations. Um, especially depending on how the rest of the year goes. Like Tulsa, say, say Tulsa finishes 3-9. You kind of have to fire him, right? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't know. The game itself, I think Memphis is the more talented team. I've been very critical of Tulsa this season. I don't mm-hmm. think they've got much going for them on defense or on the offensive line. I don't think that because of those issues on the offensive line, they're capable of running the game like they used to, and they became one-dimensional when Bren was – throwing the ball with Braxton, they couldn't even throw the ball as well. Uh, right. they, give up, they give up a ton, a ton of sacks. Um, Memphis isn't great, but they're better than that in my mind. You know, mm-hmm. both tough place to play. I'm on the Tigers. This is how I feel about the game is that Memphis is a, is a passing team, just like, I mean, Tulsa, for the most part, was a passing team. They do have Derek Prince run the ball, which is they will Memphis will stop the run. But where Memphis struggles on defense is through the air, you know. And so if Tulsa had Bryn, if he comes back, then I think this is an interesting game because just because he plays, he can make it a shootout and then it can be fun. Yes. Neither team. Neither team has a very good defense, so. It's going to come down to who can make less mistakes, which I think now, and I don't have the numbers in front of me. I would have to look them up, but I feel like Tulsa is a more disciplined team than Memphis, but I don't. That, but that's a gut feeling. Yeah, I didn't. It's kind of just how I feel, but I don't know if it's true. I'm going to look it up real quick. Cause I'm, okay. it comes down to that. Sometimes like penalties, it's going to come down to, you know, turnovers, the mistakes that you make and, in games and, like this, where, it could go and either way. Hennigan had a pretty bad game last week for turnovers and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, they're coming off a couple of them. So it's like, but then again, so is Tulsa a little bit. So who's going to take that harder? Um, I don't know. I, I like to think Philip Montgomery is a better motivator of men. But again, that hasn't proven so, to be that true this year. So again, I don't know. Just on pure raw talent level, though, Memphis is the better team. If you want to just look at the raw talent on the roster. Right. Um, right which is its own thing to consider. Uh, not always the deciding factor by any means, but it does play 
a role into how you have to play the game. I Again, I think that Tulsa's offensive line is too much of a mess this season. I think that their defense has regressed too much. And the questions at the quarterback position are too prominent for me to pick them. Plus, so it's going to be Tulsa averaging 59 penalty yards per game. Um, and it's going to be Memphis averaging only 35. So actually, Tulsa is the more penalized team. They're also... But neither horrific. of those are terrible, terrible numbers. No, they're not. I mean, Tulsa's ninth in the conference and Memphis is fifth. But what's really interesting when you're looking at the stats of the teams lined up is Tulsa's red zone defense is just terrible. I mean, just not oh, good. Yeah. Again, I think their defense top to bottom is not yeah. really good. But yeah, so, that's his problem. I think I'm going to go um, Memphis in this game. Yeah, it's probably the safe play. Yes. This next game, which is on Friday night, I'm mm-hmm. more interested to see where you go. Because it's okay. East Carolina at Cincinnati. The Pirates. Oh, are you hit. already know. You already know. Ooh. Uh, Pirates are coming in off a little bit of a hot streak here. They beat the yes. breaks off UCF and they beat BYU on the road. Uh, Huge win. Huge win. Then they get this great bye week after that. I yeah. mean, come on. Double week. It's like a perfect prepare. setup. Double week to prepare for Cincy, who's mm-hmm. coming off the Navy game with, on a short week off the Navy game. That stinks. Someone in the AAC yeah. office was giving them a little kick in the shin there because <laughs> your defensive line after you play an academy team is injured. It's banged up. And they might not be like out for the year with ACLs or anything like that, but they just spent 60 minutes getting cut to the ground. And that hurts. Their knees yeah. are shot right now. And you're going to give them a short week to prepare for a team coming off a bye. That is – that's some mean scheduling, frankly. <laughs> yeah, it's not very nice. You know. I forgot to mention Memphis is favored by six and a half in the last game. So take that for what it's worth. I think it's probably going to be a touchdown um, or more that they win that by. But in this game, Cincinnati, given the five point nod. Interesting. That's the helmet. That's not based on recent results. Cincinnati's offense has not been good recently. Uh, Well, There haven't yes. been on offense recently. Yes. Their, defense is, their defense is still very good. I could very much see a version of this game where the defense turns Aylers over a couple times and shuts down the run completely for ECU. And it becomes a 17 to like 21 game. And That's what I would say about, about I, you know, I love holding Aylers. I think he's incredible and obviously love Keaton Mitchell. And I, the whole ECU just vibe is immaculate right now. But playing the <laughs> Cincinnati playing in Nippert is a not easy. Now you tell that to a team that just played at BYU. So it's like, okay, they know that, but ECU or Cincinnati is, is while they're not having the best year, they're still a physical athletic team. And the matchup is interesting with ECU because ECU is more of like a, like a bowling ball. This is how I'm envisioning, you know, just like a little bit of a tank. And I feel like Cincinnati is a little more sleekish as well as being strong yeah. um, when you when you look at the players. So which which is going to win out? It's like the the the. T- yeah, I mean Cincinnati is probably. I don't actually know. I don't have a talent composite in front of me right now, and I'm not going to look it up because right. 
I believe four four seven does it out on three. So whatever we're not doing. It. <laughs> um, it's either Cincinnati or UCF though, who is ranked as the highest talent on the in the type of Cincinnati has been recruiting the best. UCF has hit the transfer portal harder. Uh, okay. One of those two is the top in terms of talent, and it's probably pretty close between them. Where we're talking about like relatively the same. ECU is going to be about middle tier in the conference. You know, just but they're just a bunch of hard workers and like grinders. Like, but that's my point, though. It's not that they're bad. They're very well developed. Mm -hmm. They scheme well. Like, they're Mm -hmm. not scared of Cincinnati by any means. You know, no, they're all true. But is the finesse going to get them though? Exactly. But the problem is the other team has more natural speed and athleticism, and it's not like they're poorly coached or do poor schemes either. Right. And this balancing act uh, that you have to. I guess kind of like, which is better to you? Well, I'll say this ECU to back up my point leads the conference in third down conversion, which to me is the marker of a truly mentally tough, physically that's tough team. Ex- that's experience in offense. So that is a credit to Ehlers. That's true. Ehlers and, and, and his group, 50% conversion rate, right? Where do you think Cincinnati falls on that? If you Towards had to guess. Bottom. Towards the bottom. Yeah. Second to last, just above Temple. Yeah. Yeah, no, because I've watched them play enough this year where they never <laughs> convert third down against SMU or UCF or Navy. They don't convert third downs. That's the last three weeks they just have. They're all they're also highly penalized, 74 penalty yards yeah. per game, opposed yeah. to ECU who's second with only 29. So that's that, gonna be Yeah, that's one of the most surprising things about Cincinnati to me this season. Is there not disciplined the way you expect a Luke Fickle team to be disciplined? Right. Like Luke Fickle teams are smart. They're hardworking. They're tough. You know, and Cincinnati is like two of those three things this year. They're not quite, you know, they're still very good, but they're yeah. not quite what they were in past seasons. Uh, it's a shame that ECU stubbed, you know, missed kicks against NC State and stubbed its toe against right. me. And like, has these losses that it probably shouldn't have on the schedule. Right. Because they tough. could be in the position that UCF and Tulane are, which is competing for the AAC championship potentially. And potentially your six bowl, but you stubbed your toe a couple too many times getting out of the gate. Because I I mean this ECU team is excellent. It just is excellent, but you got two conference losses, which sucks. You yeah. know uh I'm picking, I'm picking ECU. So six and three ECU to beat seven and two Cincy at home, even though the Bearcats are favored by five. I'm with, I'm rolling. No quarter. No quarter, Emily. I'm taking the Pirates too. Yes, let's go. Confident Pirates team, experienced Pirates team coming off a bye week, Cincinnati on a short week. That's where I'm going to stick with it. Nippert's tough to play, but who knows? Uh, Moving on, Notre Dame versus Navy going to be played in Baltimore this year. Uh, Which is, yeah, awesome. Yeah, for those who don't maybe know because they don't pay as much attention to Notre Dame or Navy as they do in other school, uh, mm-hmm. every Notre Dame Navy we've played every year for decades and decades. It goes back to a World War II traditional rivalry. It's a very respectful rivalry between the two, but essentially – Navy saved Notre Dame as a school it wouldn't exist without the U.S. Navy because they basically funded it through World War II <laughs> uh, to use it as a training ground. But without that money, the school would have folded. So now they play every year as long as Navy wants to play. Notre Dame will never take them off the schedule. Right. Um, they play 
every other year at Notre Dame, and then the year that would be Navy's home game, they do not play at Marine Corps Memorial Stadium because it's too small. They play at an NFL stadium somewhere around the country. Um, I wanted them in the COVID year to play at Navy to actually get that game there because tickets didn't matter that year anyways. They didn't, whatever. They just played it at Notre Dame. But yeah, the reason they do that is ticket sales. This game mm-hmm. gets 50,000, 60,000 people at it pretty easily. And you're just shooting yourself in the foot financially if you're not taking that money. Plus, it allows both of them to kind of put the, I know this game's in Maryland still, but like, you know, you'll see it played in like Texas or Florida or wherever. And it allows both teams to kind of get a recruiting trip in, in the middle of the season. Uh, I love when there's games like this with more than football, you know, on on the ballot, on the on the line, I guess you could say. It's just, it's, I love games. Like when Stanford plays Army, it's one of my favorites. It's just, it just means more, you know? And and I know this is yeah. not going to be that exciting. Notre Dame's favored by 16 and a half. They've been rolling. Navy's obviously been struggling, especially without Ty Lavate. But Navy or Notre Dame does have to face the triple option, which is not something they see. They see it ever if all the time. They see it once a year. They see it when right. they Navy every year. Uh, right. Marcus Freeman should be pointed out was obviously the defense coordinator at Cincinnati before he ended up at Notre Dame. So he saw it when he was there too. He he's did. Not, he's not inexperienced against it. He's other than. But he's also not on the field, so. No, but he knows what's coming strategically, and he's putting guys in position. You know what I mean? Yeah, which is all he can do as a coach, because when that shit comes at you on the field, it's it's a little different. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Well, Golden's the defense coordinator right now at Notre Dame. I have no idea what his experience with the triple is. <laughs> We're about to find out. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, Notre Dame this year has struggled on offense quarterback issues pretty badly during uh, Freeman's first year there. Uh, Tyler Buckner was the starting quarterback out of camp, got injured, done for the season in the Marshall loss, which mm-hmm. was a loss Notre Dame never should have taken. Yeah, uh, that was crazy. It, Marshall it was. has really not panned out the way that after, like they, they didn't do no. anything after that. Well, I think crazy. a lot of people have just, it's just something to kind of consider is Marcus Freeman's a first year head coach at an incredibly difficult job. In the first six games or so of this season, it was very clear he was learning how to do the job on the fly in a lot of ways. You know, and I think he has figured out a lot of aspects of the week-to-week coaching now. Uh, you know, they just took it to Clemson. If you didn't watch that game, you can go back. Notre Dame said, we're going to run it down your throat, and they did. Uh, mm-hmm. Notre Dame has the best tight end in the country. Sorry, Brock Bowers, Michael Mayer is better than you. Uh, Michael in my Mayers. opinion, in my opinion. Uh, mm-hmm. he's better than Bowers. Um, yeah, so they're going to throw to the tight end a bunch. They're going to try to run down Navy's throats. They're going to successfully run down Navy's throats because they just ran down Clemson's throats. There's no reason they won't run it down Navy's. Uh, Notre Dame's defense is elite. They're not inexperienced with the triple compared to other teams. You know, Yeah. Just straight up talent. There's no reason Notre Dame doesn't win it pretty easy. Agreed. Yeah, so we're both on Notre Dame. Yep. All right. Moving on. This is, I think, Emily's game of the week. It's SMU at USF. Oh, my God. I literally did not think you were going to say that. Wow. Okay. Emily. Because I'm actually going to a different game this week. So I'm like, oh, that's what he's about to say. No. 
No, no, no. Anyway. Uh, Emily, is there a chance a dead cat bounces in Tampa? <laughs> oh my God. I'm so, th- I'm, I don't want, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Like just I'm so, picking SMU. That's all I have. I have a question for you. If Houston gave up 77 to SMU and USF gave up 54 to Temp, or sorry, if SMU scored 50, 77 on Houston and mm-hmm. and USF gave up 54 to Temple, how many points is SMU going to score if they feel like <laughs> it? I don't know. If they feel like it, I think they can name their number. They're only uh, favored by 17 and a half. So. Cover. Cover. Definitely. Yeah, I, I mean, think they're going to. I should point out, USF is going to get theirs in this game on offense because they're going to get, SMU is bad at defense. And USF yes. isn't yes. small on offense. They've got some talent there. They'll probably score close to 30, but they're going to give up 50. Mm. That's you know that's just what they do. They just do. If you like points and yeah. Tara Mordecai, this okay. game is for you. I'll take the over. We're both on SMU. I don't know yeah. that we. It'll be interesting to see what USF looks like with a interim staff now. It'll be yeah, because I don't know how much men- mentally is going to change or like how much the culture uh, was toxic or you know what I mean. Like I don't know there was a toxic culture there. I think it was just an incompetent head coach who wasn't. Incompetence a little bit mean. But yeah, I don't think he was incompetent. I think in overhead. I think he was in overhead. Maybe as the head coach. he just couldn't I, get it done. It happens. I think in games he was incompetent. I think off the field he was a very good coach and program builder mm-hmm. and a CEO mentality thing. I think strategically, schematically, I think he had no idea what he was doing as far as a head coach and yeah. he clearly was not ready for games consistently. Uh, yeah. So, who knows? Maybe so we're, we're both taking SMU. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm saying who knows? Maybe they'll be a little bit more ready with a different person at the helm, but <laughs> I don't see any reason why that means they win. Yeah, probably not. Uh, here we go. Moving on. Temple at Houston. Temple at Houston. Uh, Houston's favored by 20 points in this game. Cover. They're, they're going to cover it, I think. Um, you think they're just going to come out like just so pissed? I think they're, they're going to be mad about how they lost last week. I think that their defense, especially, was a, embarrassed by a good offense. I don't think Temple's all that good in offense this year. I yeah. Maybe made that a little painfully clear when we were talking about the uh, USF Temple game that I don't think they're particularly good on that side of the ball. So I think Houston's going to be able to hold them down on offense and get theirs when you, when the Cougars have the ball. So, yeah, I don't think it's particularly close. I don't know that we need to dive too deeply into it because I don't think anyone would think it's all that close a game when you... No. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's just not that interesting to me, to be honest with you. Hopefully Temple <laughs> plays close. Hopefully Temple shows that they're confident in improving. I think, I mean, if they can get rolling a little bit on offense, huh? if you look... Honestly, I think if it's a close game, you have to start talking about Dana Holgerson's future with Houston. Yeah, but I mean, by your transference property that you just threw at me in the last one, if Temple puts up this many points on USF and Houston gave up that many points to SMU, then it could be argued that they would give up some points to Temple and that Temple's offense could find some success running the ball with the running back who yeah, just won the Dope Walker can, Weekly Award. Maybe they can find some success, but what does some success look like? I don't know, but I don't think they're going to win, but I think 
they the might. Houston's defense is not as bad as it was last week, or at least it shouldn't be. That last week's game was an anomaly for both teams in a lot of different ways. It was maybe. It was an outlier. It just was. There's no way of you'll not convince me that that's what exactly what both of those teams were this year because they played too many different games for me to believe it. You know what I mean? I don't believe that you can score 77 points against Houston and then do nothing against anyone else in this count, you know, against several other teams. Yeah. I think Temple scores at least two touchdowns. That's what I'm going to say. At least two touchdowns is not that many, though. I know, but it's more than they would be scoring a year ago. So that's what against Houston, particularly. Sure. So sure. So I'll you're take it. Temple, I'll take Houston. No, I'm taking Houston, obviously, but I think Temple gets at least two, three touchdowns in there. Okay, that fair enough. Fair enough. That's all. Fair enough. All Houston. right. The Last game. Of the game. Week. Legit yes. game of the week. Should have been college game day. Like, I had my little mini rant. I don't need to repeat it about game day and ESPN yeah. control the narrative of the sport. Uh, UCF at Tulane. That's the top. Let's, that's number 25 UCF 22. at number nine, 22. 22 at number 17 Tulane. You're going to give us last week's numbers there for a second. Yeah, they were written down from before the, yeah. uh, the playoff new polls. Yeah, yes. before the playoff poll drop. Um, yeah, so UCF at Tulane, really interesting game. I'm expecting Yelman Stadium to be bumping. I think this is going to be a great atmosphere in Tulane. Yeah. I think it's going to be a great atmosphere. In I've New already Orleans. talked to a bunch of former co- uh, players that are coming back for the game, people that are flying back in actually even as early as tomorrow to be there for this. So, um, yeah, Tulane's going to have a packed house. UCF, on the other hand, obviously we're dealing with the – Tropical Storm Nicole or whatever it is now. And um, they're going to be closing Orlando's airport starting tomorrow. So the team is actually heading out early is what I was told. And I don't know how that's going to affect fans and, you know, other people traveling. So, yeah, it might affect some people get to the game if they're so they're probably going to be reselling those tickets on Ticketmaster to Tulane fans if they had them would be my guess. We'll see. It was a road game anyway, so that stays being a road game, essentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't – the Tropical Storm – I'm in Orlando. I think everyone knows that if they consistently listen to the show that that's where I live. Um, Mm -hmm. No one's batted an eye about it here. I know that they're going to be closing a couple things down. But, like, other than my girlfriend's being run ragged right now because she does scheduling for Disney, so they're, like, making her come up with a million different scheduling possibilities. (laughs) And it's, yeah. it's stressful for her doing that. But, like, for the most part, people, it's not like a hurricane. It's not like the last hurricane. You know what I mean? It's just not. It's Most people aren't even, like, lining up for gas the way they do. You know? Yeah, that was crazy. And it's what people do for hurricanes. Um, so, no, I mean, I don't think it's going to affect the way I talked about a hurricane affecting a team. Um, the game itself... I think it starts and ends with can Tulane score enough, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think Michael Pratt's going to have a very fun day. I think he's going to struggle. He's going to get a lot of pressure. And that's why I think you're going to see Tulane really try to lean on his running game. Because I don't think that Pratt can consistently make plays against this UCF defense. Now, the UCF defense has been inconsistent against them. ECU ran all over them. Cincinnati didn't have a chance of running against them. Uh, I would see Tulane trying to run Pratt a bit the way that we just saw Hennigan run because 
You mm-hmm. just proved that they have a little bit of trouble stopping it. And Pratt's a capable, if not great runner. Um, you know, those are the things I'd look out for. I don't know how many points Tulane's going to be able to put. This game they, they played last year at the bounce, it was like a 13 to three game. It was an awful, awful offense. Right, right. You know, uh, we don't know who UCF's quarterback is for sure in this game. Uh, right. I'd rather it be John Rice Plumley personally, because I think he's right, of course, because I think he's more dynamic. Um, not right. every UCF fan in the world agrees with me on that. I should point out. Um, Interesting. UCF's going to do what Gus does, though. They're going to run tempo and they're going to try to run it down Tulane's throat. Uh, UCF is the more, again, I mentioned, you know, when we talk about composite talent rankings, UCF's notably more talented if you just look at that. No, UCF should be faster and stronger than Tulane in this game. I expect mm-hmm. them to be able to run the ball on Tulane. No, Tulane's defense has been great. I don't want to take anything away. They've been great in the front seven. So it'll be an interesting battle if Tulane can take that away. I just don't see a reason why they can. UCF needs to clean up turnovers. They just do. It's been an issue the last three or four weeks. Turnovers. Mm-hmm. But if UCF plays a clean game, I don't see why they don't win. Yeah. If they, if they play a clean game, I guess that's the biggest. Well, yeah, it's, of course, the, the biggest if there is. I could say that for every game. If, you know, if SMU doesn't throw five interceptions, they'll win. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I just mean that UCF, they don't generally play the cleanest games. The so last few weeks have been That's kind of. They could have been yeah. made by several scores, but they fumbled a couple times going in. Right. Uh, the and they, they accrue a lot of penalties. Uh, the penalties, where are they at? Because I haven't noticed it. 53 as, yards per game, which is fourth worst in the conference. Yeah, I guess I haven't noticed as a major issue. But then again, it felt so bad under Josh Heupel for a couple of years there for penalties. Yeah, again, it's like, almost 500 yards total. So yeah. well, not Josh great. Heupel, they were like 90 or 100 yards a game on average for a couple of seasons there. It was bad. So I guess 50 doesn't feel like that many. I also yeah. thought that they... Uh, got jobbed by the referees last week against Memphis for like 45 yards in one drive. <laughs> I didn't talk about that because I try not to complain about the refs too much, but uh, they definitely blew one face mask call where the guy didn't touch the face mask. He just touched the back of the helmet, which is not a face mask. And a couple of very questionable experience calls had my uh, AAC refs against the team's leaving conspiracy hat on. <laughs> Gave Good old point. conspiracies. I know. Oh, look at the Cincinnati scheduling situation this week. Maybe. Yeah, week. right. <laughs> uh, no, um, I don't actually believe that. But yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously you can't give away free first downs by committing penalties. No. You can't put yourself behind the chains. Obviously, you can't give up possessions because you turn the ball over. Those things are always tricky, and those things will cost you games like they cost you against ECU. You know, but. Uh, I do think UCF is the better team overall. Like you said, who do you think is going to win? UCF. Oh, you're picking UCF. Okay. What? I'm picking oh, Tulane. I'm picking UCF. Oh my God. Who would have guessed that? I mean, I'm just surprised you've been riding with Tulane and they're eight and one and they're at home. Been, and... I've been riding pretty hard with UCF too. Oh. Well, yeah, but <laughs> I just, I think it, I'm surprised that you think they're actually going to win. win the I think game. there's a very good chance that we see this as a rematch of the conference championship game. Of course, mm-hmm. Tulane still has to play Cincinnati coming up. So that will be, I think the deciding factor in all that. Um, if I'm not mistaken, depends on obviously if you drop another game, if you're UCF, then you don't have the tiebreaker against you. You get into tiebreaker problems after that. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, right now, this is a possible preview for the conference championship game. Winner has an inside track on the New Year Six. Very important game. Got to watch it. Yep. Got to watch it. Must watch. And I think they relegated to like ESPNU or something like that. So I'm really mad at ESPN about all this. Well, I will be there at Yolman. So if you want to follow along with some live coverage for Underdog Dynasty, make sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at MLNEM, E-M-I-L-N-E-M. And I'll bring you all the stuff. You can find me at Twitter, uh, at Twitter, on Twitter, whatever we're calling it. <laughs> However long Twitter exists now that Elon Musk <laughs> is going to run it. Yeah. Around. TBD. Uh, at Dan underscore Morrison 96. Uh, I'm going to miss Twitter when it's, a, when it's completely gone. Because when it's dead and gone. It's going to be weird. I bought it for more than it's worth and now is desperately trying to make money and is just going to go into a spiral. It's nice. Crazy times, man. Crazy times. This should be a fun. This should be a fun week of AAC football. We're going to see some good games. I'm excited. I, I Unlike regret, last week, which I, I just, regret to admit that I'm probably not going to watch Temple Houston live. <laughs> I'm going to watch it just so I can see if Temple scores. But I'm excited. We get Thursday night. We get Friday night. We get some yes. good games Saturday. Whole, so whole big should be good. Exciting. Yes. And we got to get out here before we ramble anymore. So we're off. We're done. We'll yeah. We'll see you next week. <laughs>